Welcome to today's show. I am really excited because my friend Vicki from Actually Aspling is joining me today to talk about some survival skill tools, just some survival topics, because school has been traumatic for most of us. Not going to lie here, middle school, high school, oh man, those were just like the cringeworthy segments of my life. Those were the times when I felt really awful and it was just trying to navigate and survive on a social level, but then the whole academic thing, because, you know, I grew up in a, in a time frame where you had to go to college, you had to make these grades and you had to do this because everything was weighing and, and it's going to affect whether or not you got into a quote unquote good college, right? And if you got scholarships and all this stuff, so there was so much pressure. Hi, I'm Carol Jean Whittington, and you're about to experience the new way to thrive in life and relationships as a late-identified autistic by unveiling who you are, what you love, creating balance, and being the leader and creator of your best life. Get ready, because this is where we go against the mainstream. We say no to outdated society norms, and we say yes to who we are in order to create a joy-filled, balanced, and more neurodistinct world. Ubuntu. Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. Welcome to the show, Vicki. I cannot wait for you to share. Thank you for having me on the show. I was going to say I'm excited, but honestly, I didn't like school at all. So hopefully I'll be able to share some tips and things that will help someone else go through school. That's what I'm hoping for because I didn't enjoy it. So hopefully someone else will enjoy it. (laughs) I know it's kind of like school enjoyment. And it's kind of funny though, because things shifted for me when I got to college. And I think it happened for you too, it seems. I mean, anybody that's going for their PhD must like school a little, Vicky. I, I primary school I didn't really like pay attention to because I was so young like secondary high school I hated like just just hated because I was a teenager and everything was changing and it was really difficult but as soon as I got to like university the pressure just like was released I mean you still have like deadlines and stuff that you have to like work towards but everything is like so much more relaxed in a way it's easier And you don't have to like go around making friends because you have like classes with people like once a week. So there's not like any point. And it's just, it's just nicer to be able to go off, sit by yourself, just get on with things. Yeah. And for me, the big shift in college was that I could choose what I was interested in to study. You know, yes, they have those requirements, but it was more like I had this this choice. And it wasn't just these rote subjects. And that always bothered me in school. It was like, I would just be getting into a history topic or a discussion we're having and the bell would ring and you'd have to go to science or something else. And you were constantly shifting gears. And for me, as not not knowing I was autistic and that I need transition time, that was stressful. It is because I remember my school timetable, it was like blocked out and I'd be like, okay, so I'm in this building now and then I've got to go all the way upstairs to another building and there's no time. So you're constantly running around trying to find your classes and it's exhausting and it's a lot to like manage. 
And especially because you're going from, say, like maths to science, then to English, your brain has to just like switch straight away. And that is a lot. It's really overwhelming. You know, I didn't even notice that that was like the causation, the like the root causation. I mean, not that I was just autistic and ADHD, but but just having to like constantly shift gears and was just like trying to drive an automatic, driving a stick shift. And it's just like I was burning up my clutch. I was just, you know, really sucks. So what are some things that you found that sort of helped you navigate this or, or even in retrospect, looking back some things for people to try now that you've identified, man, if I'd have done this now that I'm doing it, this is a huge help. What are some of those things, Vicki? Because I know you got a list. I think when I was going through it, I didn't think about it. I just did it. I was like, well, I need to get to this class. I need to do it. I don't want the teacher to tell me off. So just, just, just do it and get on with it. But looking back, one thing that I wish I'd have asked for and that you can ask for is, is if you can leave your lessons like five minutes early because then you have, and I mean, it's only five minutes, but you have a little bit of time to beat the crowd. It just gives you time as well to, to process, okay, I'm here. This is the class. Okay, I know what I'm doing. And it's a breather. So definitely ask if you can leave like your classes a little bit earlier just because that is an accommodation that schools, they can do. They don't like doing it, but they can do it. If it means you're going to like get on with your day better and feel more comfortable and feel like you can learn more because you're less overwhelmed, then yeah, it's great. All right. So tip number one is for to ask for the five minute leave your class early accommodation so that look, you can get in the hallway when there's not like 500 people crowding you because that always drove me insane. It was so loud and I hated people touching me and people were always pushing past me down a hallway. Second one, like the good perk to that one is you can go to the bathroom when there aren't like a million people in there trying to do business and fix their hair and just go in there for other things. And it's so loud because all the tile. So, okay. That five minutes would have been huge. Wish I'd have had that one. Oh God, definitely go into the bathroom. I'd either go during class or I'd want to go before everyone else. Because you do, you get people in there like that are smoking and putting the makeup on. And it's like, I need the toilet. Can you leave, please? But you can't <laughs> say anything. So I just didn't go to the toilet for ages. I know I would hold it forever and I would find like times when I, the teacher would actually let me out of the classroom to go to the bathroom and I would just be like, oh, it would just be like the time I could actually quietly sit. And sometimes I'd just kind of hang out in the bathroom quietly during class (laughs) just to regroup for a minute. And I didn't even realize I was doing it for, for those sensory reasons. It's that few moments to just sit with yourself and like self-regulate and think, okay, I've been to the toilet. I feel better. I feel like I can go back to class now and actually maybe pay attention. Totally. Okay. What you got next? Um, I also think figuring out, it's a good thing to like, see if you can ask for your timetable, like your schedule ahead of time, because that can be really, really helpful. So if you know that you've got classes that are in different like buildings or across the school you can like as if you've got about five minutes you can definitely plan the quickest route to get somewhere or the best way to get somewhere and I think it really helps 
to help you familiarize yourself with where you're going, what lessons you've got. I just got my timetable like the day I started, I think. And I always spent so much time trying to figure out where are my classes? What am I doing? Where am I going? And it was just a lot. So asking for a copy of your timetable before you actually start. So during the summer holidays is the perfect time to contact your school and just say, I know that you're doing the timetable now. Please, could I have a copy? Because I need to adjust to all the changes and things and the transitions. And it's reasonable. They should give you a copy of the timetable. Okay. I love that because in, in school, you know, elementary, middle school, high school, high school was the worst, like high school and college. Those two were really tough. Now you got to remember too, that I went to three universities in three years in three different States. <laughs> I was navigating a new campus, you know, quite pretty frequently. I finally did settle. Okay. <laughs> it just took me a little bit, but you know, just, that was a huge stress for me too, Vicki. Um, trying to navigate, like, how do I get from this class? And you only have that small window that they give you. So if you're asking for that extra five minutes, this helps you be able to have a breather and get where you're going without feeling pressured to hurry up and get there. Because for me, that was always like so stressful. And especially because I was on campuses that were really huge. And so one building can be on this side of campus and your next class is all the way on the other side. So, you know, sometimes I would had, I had to get a bicycle at LSU because the campus was so big so that I could get from one class all the way across campus to another class because um, I didn't realize when I scheduled it that that's what happened. So I'm going to add to that tip. So when you ask for your schedule or your timetable in advance and you say, look, I want to get this, also ask if somebody, if it's a new school for you and you've never been on the campus and everything is completely new and you don't know anything about it ask for an ambassador or someone who is there that's part of the staff who can meet you and take you from one class to the next and you can and have them get a map for you so that you can draw on it make some notes and the person can physically walk you so you're not trying to figure it all out it takes a little stress off i got smart by the third school and figured out how to ask for that i find that really really helpful so having that one person as your like nominated person. So if you need help getting to classes or you need help with anything, there is someone that you feel comfortable. You can go to and say, look, this has cropped up or, oh, can you take me to this place? Can be really helpful. I know when I was doing my master's degree, I found it really difficult because we didn't have like set classes very often. So I needed somewhere quiet. I could work because I used to sit in the cafe, but, it's really noisy. So I used to spend a lot of time talking to, he was the uh, student president for my university and he was fantastic. He was great. And I said to him one day, I said, look, can you show me now and write down like a list of all the quiet spaces that I can go to on campus? So I know in advance where to go. So he took me on a tour of the campus and just like showed me all the different classrooms and all the different like quiet spaces. And then he made a list of them and gave it to me. And that was so helpful. It's like, oh my gosh, that's genius. It's like knowing where quiet spaces are, knowing where exits are and knowing where bathrooms are. 
it can be really helpful and having someone that can show you those things so you can like familiarize yourself with it is really helpful. Okay. That is so good. That is really good. Cause I sort of had to just sort of figure out on my own where those quiet spaces work. Cause I'm like you, I had to have a place to kind of sit and think um, or be able to, to work and concentrate. And even on a small college campus, like even when I was at spring Hill, I think I managed to find like, you know, two or three little quiet nook kind of spaces. And it makes a huge difference. But if I had thought about it to ask somebody for that up front, oh my gosh, that would have saved me a lot of time. Good one. Really good one, Vicki. The, the last thing that I can think of that would have helped me is I had a friend who, who I'm an adult, but I wasn't friends with him in high school. He was diagnosed as a child. So in high school, he got lots of support. And they had this place called learning support for people who had like diagnoses and things where they could go and they had like extra classes, but it was a place that at break times and lunch times that they could go out of the way and just sit. I think you could use a computer or you could read or it was just a safe space where you could go. So you didn't have to like me awkwardly stand in the corridor with people that weren't really my friends trying to make conversation that was really awkward. So I think finding out if there is a space for social times, like break times that you can go to so that you feel more comfortable. Because I don't want to awkwardly socialize with people. I would have rather had like a space I can go to. And also, if you are feeling overwhelmed during classes, if you have like, I think it's like a hall pass or a pass or something, so that if you feel like you're really like overwhelmed and overloaded, you can just say, look, can I go to this place? And you have like a designated place that you can go to. That would have helped me like so much. Yeah, that really would have. I'm just like, time out. <laughs> I, just, yeah. let's, let's, I gotta have a minute. And um you know, I, I didn't know I was autistic ADHD um, till I was 39. So I, one or two things that I actually just sort of organically learned, especially in college, like I didn't do it as well in high school. I figured some things out by my senior year. I, it just took me a little bit. But when I got to college, I started to sort of figure better things out. So if you are self-identified and you do not yet have a formal diagnosis to take to school, here is a suggestion and a tip that I used that really made a difference for me. What I would do is when I started a new course for the semester, I would go around for office hours that first week. And it, sometimes if they had office hours, like before school started, like that week, you know, before you start your classes formally, I would go introduce myself to the professor. And I would say, Hey, I'm Carol Jean. I'm in your class for this semester. I'm really looking forward to it. You know, I'm a blank major, whatever it was at the time, because I switched it a bunch. <laughs> and I would say, you know, Hey, do you mind if I record uh, your lectures to listen to? Do you have any additional resources or do you do study times? And I said, I know this is normally covered in your syllabus, but I just wanted to talk to you first because I, for some reason, I have a much better 
um, experience and I do better learning if I have a couple of these things. And I just, it's nothing that you have to do for me, but it's just some things that I just want to check to make sure that this is something that you allow in your classroom. Because everybody's a little different. Some professors, most of them don't care if you record the lesson. Um, most of them don't care if y'all share notes and you kind of have a study buddy, which that's my other thing. In every class that you have, find two people. Find two people because there's going to be a day that somebody is missing a class or they're sick the same day you're sick. And you need to have somebody you can call to get the notes or ask, say, hey, you know, can I take a look at what you have? And also in reciprocation for that, have those two people know that they can call you to get your notes if they're out or sick. You know, you do kind of have to set boundaries because if you're not careful, you'll end up with that one person that's like constantly asking for your notes because they just don't do their own. <laughs> you'll learn to kind of navigate the right people to buddy up with. But if find at least two because you got to have two because there's always going to be somebody that may end up being out the same day you are. Um, but for me, those were some things that made a huge difference. Um, just being able to sort of navigate a class and to sort of meet my learning style. And that's another thing that I think was really helpful is when I started to learn about, you know, I do have some auditory processing challenges. So sometimes I am not always able to process things right in the moment. It takes me a little bit to process. So I don't think of a question till later. So sometimes just being able to ask those questions that you formulate when you go over things later and have a place to ask them. So ask your professor, you know, hey, are you okay if I email you, you know, maybe once a week just to check if I have a question, can I send one to you? Or do you have during your office hours, is it okay to come by and ask a question about this? If I, it's about the notes, you know, what are your office hour sort of curriculum type things? What do you, what do you do? And what don't you do during your office hours? That's a big one to ask. I, I totally agree with like all those points. I remember my first, but I remember the first thing I did when I was at university on my first day, because I already knew what I was doing when I got there. I was like, I'm in my first year, but for my third year, I'm going to do this. I was like, I was thinking like way ahead. So there was one professor and I was like, that's my guy. I'm going to be really forward. I'm going to go up and I'm going to introduce myself. Um, I ended up sending him an email and saying, look, I think I'm autistic. I want to do this in my third year, blah, 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 blah. And he was great. He was, he was like my person that I would go to. And he was my supervisor in my third year. He was my supervisor at master's level. And he's still my supervisor now because we've built that relationship and he knows that I send a lot of emails and he expects that. But I was always kind of, I found it, like you said, I, I couldn't process things when I was in the middle of the lecture. So afterwards, I'd be like, I'd go and knock on his door and we'd have like really like in-depth conversations and I'd leave and I'd be like, okay, I get it now. That was really, really helpful. And it's not being afraid to ask questions because I was always terrified to ask questions. But the teaching staff are generally like really nice so they want to help you so ask the questions and just having like a friend I had I only had one though and she was my friend like all the way through so we would like talk to each other about like the classes and we'd study together but I was the one and I found this really helpful I had folders and folders of notes 
and they were brightly colored and lots of highlighters and I had flashcards and I, I was the one that came in and everyone was like what is this and I'm like it's my revision you know I go all out making notes and having flashcards and things is really helpful and because I'm like a kinesthetic slash visual learner having flashcards with bright colors really helped me but and my and it's nice to have that friend because me and my friend would like work together I'd show her my notes and she'd show me hers and it is really nice because you do form connections and it's over something that you both have an interest in you want to learn you want to be there so having someone that shares that is really really nice um but yeah I'm trying to think what was the other point you said but I have forgot so (laughs) that's a really good one I have an obsession with um office supplies (laughs) and I always have I know we we have laughed and, and like commiserated in the fact that we have you know quarter level um when it comes to office supplies so I'm like an entire basket of colored highlighters and pencils and I have all different size index cards lined and unlined <laughs> and I have folders and oh I gotta share with you my new binder oh oh wow I mean, okay. I saw it and wow. I'm like, I, ha- I have to have that. <laughs> and the, the, have thing, have the thing is, if you have bright colors and things are appealing, it's, I find it easier to learn because yes. I take it in more. Well, and it, it's also, it's like, um, I, I discovered, and I'm just going to say, I use lots of different highlighter colors and I even do it in my Kindle, like when I'm reading and I highlight something, I have a specific color for a specific thing, right? So, yeah. you know, okay, yes, you too. <laughs> so it's like, if it's the question or the topic for this section, it's in blue for me. And then the answer or the supporting evidence I do in a different color and I will do it, you know, and if it's a secondary or tertiary, then it has its own little color. Cause it's not the, the main point. Right. And I noticed that for me, it has a lot to do with that dopamine hit for my ADHD side of my brain. That's like, I like the variety. I like the stimulation. Cause like you, I'm a kinesthetic learner. I'm very auditory, but my processing can be slow for certain things. Like for music, it's super fast. And I can remember a lyric the first time I hear it. I almost, I even have like what I call predictive lyric ability. <laughs> like I'll, I'll hear a song for the very first time. And for some reason I can immediately kind of pick up the lyric and sing along. It's really weird. Apparently no one is normally doing this. <laughs> People are like, that's weird. How do you do that? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I could sit in a classroom and, and not be able to process something, but I could hear a song and it's different. <laughs> it's just one of those things. But knowing and kind of learning those things about yourself and your learning style and just doing something that makes you feel comfortable, but makes you feel happy while you're doing it is really important. It makes all the difference. I like things to be pretty and I like them when they look nice. It it makes me happy. So if I can make my boring lecture notes look nice, I'll want to read them. So it's so true. And there's a lot to be said for just the environment that you set up because I am really bad. I can't sit down and study if there's a mess 
or if there's something that's going to visually distract me because I'm like squirrel. And the next thing I know, I'm like (laughs) rearranging my closet and I've got a test tomorrow. (laughs) But I can't sit down and concentrate and focus because I can see something. It's kind of messy. So having a, a study area that you keep that's, you know, where you've got some fun stuff, like I keep my bracelet and, you know, I even now at 47, you know, doing what I do, I'm always taking a class. I'm always doing something. I'm reading a book. I'm doing something to educate and expand my mind. It's really important just on a human level to know that you're always learning. You're always growing. You're always expanding your knowledge base because that is one of the parts of being us that makes our world enjoyable. I enjoy doing that. But I also know that I still have those study skills that I developed, my color coding and things like that and making it pretty, but having that environment where I know I study so that I'm not easily distracted. That was a big one for me. Like I've got fidget things and stuff. I can kind of channel my nervous, busy energy because I have a lot of that Um, and being able to focus And look, you do not have to sit still to study, by the way. Yeah. Right. Like (laughs) Vicki and I, we both run. We are not pretty runners. We are not fast runners, but it's a rhythm. It's giving your brain that escape. And you know, what I do is I really, I usually take that time when I'm running or when I go out hiking or walking, that's when I process the information I'm thinking about studying. What about you? Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I find that my desk and my computer and everything is in my bedroom. So my bed's just around the corner and I, I hate it because my bedroom and everything here is like a distraction. But because I live with my parents, I don't have any other space, so I make do. So it's really hard for me. So I prefer going out to university pre-COVID when I could because it's quiet and it's just, it's easier. But definitely having a space. I like having, like you said, like a sensory space while I'm working. So all my like tech lights up and I have like fidgets and stuff. And it's really nice to look at. So it helps me like to regulate while I'm working, which is really, really important. But I do find that when I'm running, that is my time where I I do, I process everything. So I've been going through like research interviews at the moment. And when I'm out running, I'll think, oh yeah, that's a really great thing. And the idea will come to me while I'm out because I'm in the zone when I'm running. I'm so focused. And that's when I get my great ideas and it's great because then I can come back and think that was a great run. It was actually a really bad run and I was really slow, but I got really good ideas from it and it's fantastic. I love that. I love that. I don't even, I don't even focus on my time. I don't look at that. I mean, I, I, I look at my distance for the simple fact that right now I signed up for this 160 kilometer challenge and and I'm over halfway there. It has been a slow, steady process because I started at the end of January and I'm just kind of there. But but I was thinking about the other day, I was like, you know, it doesn't, that's not what it is. It's it's my mental health time. It's my processing time. And like you, that's when I get my really great ideas. That's when I like solve a problem that my subconscious has been working on. And that was another thing. It's like when I run into things that, I haven't figured them out yet. 
I haven't solved the problem or it, the penny hadn't dropped, so to speak, and it hasn't made sense to me, something that I'm learning or studying. What I found is the more I try and focus and, and force myself to understand it, the more resistant my brain is to solving it. But I noticed that when I just go, okay, and, and I trust that my subconscious brain is going to solve that problem. And I just like, I'm just going to set it to the side. It'll come. Yeah. And it's amazing because it's usually on those walks or those runs where I'm thinking about something else that all of a sudden, poof, there it is. I, I find that as well. And the weird thing is, I hated running when I was younger because we did cross country at school and it was awful. But as an adult, I love it. It is that time where I can just get out and just forget everything and just go and have a nice run. So I think I'm not necessarily saying people should start running. Try it. See if you like it. You might like it. You might actually enjoy it. But finding that time away from school, away from everything else, where it's just you time, a bit of self-care, a bit of exercise, just a bit of stimming and fidgeting, having that set time for yourself is really important because there's so much going on at school and sometimes you need to step away from that and just be with yourself. Yes. Excellent advice. Look, there are lots of days and there's lots of times where my physical health doesn't allow me to run. So I'll just go for a short walk, even if it's just up the street and back. That's it. It's sometimes it's just enough to kind of give you that little breathing room. And the other thing is that you cannot maintain and work at this level up here all the time. It is not possible. Now, Vicki knows this just as well as I do. She knows it from the psychology side. I know it from the neuroscience side. Your brain is not designed to maintain that type of constant work. Our brains work in cycles and we do really well in spurts and bursts and blocks of time, but we have to have restoration in between. Your brain has to have space to recover, to rest. And honestly, when I started to put in those blocks of time in those areas of rest, just to go have fun, just to play. I mean, go jump on the trampoline at the neighbor's house. I mean, I just, you know, there's just certain things that I do. And I learned over time, it was really important to do in order to really be effective and efficient when I was working. Because when I was under the the misguided belief that I had to operate up here all the time, 24-7, that's the best place to get yourself into burnout. It is. And when I was in like high school, middle school, all I did was like stress about school. And I was so focused on like getting really, really good grades that that took over everything. And then... I lost a lot of like time because I look at myself now and I'm like almost 30 and I think what did I do that was like fun when I was in like high school what did I do when I was a teenager like late teens yeah I I, I had fun but it, it, I missed so much because I was so worried about my grades and everything around me that I missed out on so much and I was so exhausted about everything, giving yourself time to just go and have fun. 
Well, there's a lot of research out there about how play really changes your life. And play is not just for children. It is even more for adults. It really is. And I found that I, I found and reclaimed that sense of joy and wonderment in my adult life when I learned to play again or play for the first time, really, because I didn't play as a child. I don't know about you. I didn't play. I was very serious. Yeah, I, I was kind of like that. I'd play by myself and I was very in on myself. So I would play with myself and I'd talk to my toys. I wouldn't like play outwardly with anyone else. And one thing that I think is important as well is that when you're a child, your parents, like they want you to play and you have imagination and play with toys and things. But then when you get to your teens and you're in high school, it's like, oh, well, you can't play anymore. You're a teenager. You're going to be an adult soon. You know, you can't, that's not age appropriate. You know, you're in school. You need to focus on that and don't be silly. You know, you can't go out and play with your friends, but it's important as parents that you let your child play. Just, just let them, they need that time. And as an adult now, I have toys and things. I have like toys all the time. And my parents think that, why are you buying more toys? And I'm like, I like toys. Toys are fun. Oh, but they're not age appropriate. And I'm like, I don't care. It's my enjoyment. And I love that. And for a parent to say, no, don't play. Don't take that time for yourself. It can be really difficult. So give play time. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things I even have in the introduction for this show is that we go against the mainstream. We go against societal norms here. And one of those is exactly that. The societal norm may say, and it's an old, outdated, broken norm, because we know that it's broken. We know that all people of every age need to play, that toys are not just for toddlers. Toys are for everybody. It brings enjoyment. And here's the thing. That's the shift we're making. When we start to have this conversation here together and we start to shift those broken societal norms, it's not that we are too old for toys. That's silly. Really, let's think about it. That's silly. We're never too old for toys. That's just this, you have to be grown up and very serious to be an adult. Well, people, we know that is a broken belief. We know that that's not true. If you look at people in the world, you look at adults, you look at like a million different millionaires that are out there today, they play. Anybody that you see that's really happy, that's that's successful in what they do and they found a balance between work and play, they're the most fulfilled people. So why in the world would we deny ourselves the joy and the pleasure of play as an adult? Because you know what? I can adult and still play. It's like the whole special like interests, things like focused interests. Like I always used to find that school was a nightmare and when I came home I would obsess over like something so for me it's like sculptures so guess what I'm doing have you heard about this have you heard about this and such and such a body it was made by this person and it was this year and I'd go into all this detail about this thing 
because it was a way for me to like de-stress and self-regulate after a hard day at school but my parents are very oh well we've just come home from work and we're tired and we just want to sit down we don't want to hear about your interests again you talk about them all the time it's tiring can you talk about something else and I hate that this is the thing that I hear so often it's like please let people autistic people engage in their special interests because that is it's self-care in a way and you may be tired of hearing about it but enthusiasm and passion and the joy we get from that is incredible whether it's age appropriate or not for me coming home from school and engaging in that interest just like changed everything and it allowed me to cope going into school the next day absolutely when you come home from school guys you do not have to immediately get to your homework. You don't immediately have to like get it done in order to earn your playtime. You have just been in school for eight hours. You have earned some rest, okay? That was the one thing that was really important for me was when I got home from school, I got a snack and I sat in front of the TV and I watched my special, <laughs> my special shows that I love because they made me happy like Fraggle Rock because <laughs> we love Fraggle Rock. <laughs> Dad, back, rock. And by the way, I'm still singing that song through my head since we talked about it the other day. <laughs> but being able to have that time to just like do nothing, to be quiet, to be still, to engage in something that brings you joy and that's fun for you. I, it would take two or three hours for me to get to a point where I had the brain power and the bandwidth to do homework. And if I was up till nine or 10 o'clock at night to finish. So what? So what? It is not like prescribed bedtime is going to make a difference because all I would do is be laying there wide awake and it just made me physically stressed. So parents, adults, kids, when you get home from work, it was the same. I mean, I would work all day long in a corporate job and as a hospital administrator, I come home and I was done. I had just exerted all my energy doing a million different things all day long. I had walked five miles around a hospital in a pair of heels. You know, it was time for a break. And when you get home, having those, those routines set up and those healthy boundaries for yourself, for your children, for your spouse, because everybody needs that time when they first get home from work or school or whatever it is that you've been doing for the day to be able to just unwind and transition. And then it also allows you to restore that energy so that you can be a really great parent. You can be that really great spouse. You can be that really great kid or, or even, you know, brother or sister, because you've got the spoons to show up and just sit and listen to somebody or to, to talk and have a conversation. I think we all have to be able to recognize that the people in our life, even if they're not neurodistinct like us, they, they need that time too. And we all have to find sort of that balance in our relationship so that we're being respectful and honoring of one another. And I think, like you said, coming home and watching TV, I would do that, but I never really understood until now why, why I need that time. Because like you said, you have just done a full school day. Your brain is, has been on maximum 
all the way through and you you need time to process everything it is a lot and I think this is one thing teachers don't really get as well it's like all the homework it's a lot and you are expected to go home and then the first thing you do is do your homework then you can relax but if you've not got the capacity or energy to do your homework you're never going to do it it's never going to get done so having that set time like you said is so important and it's just letting go of the comparison and the belief that you have to do something a certain way you don't have to do anything in any particular way i say all the time you don't have to you don't have to do anything in any particular prescribed way other than what works for you and take the time to be the scientist in this and sort of figure out what works, try some different things, you know, be in communication and observation of yourself, of your children, or if it, if you're the child, you know, be observant and kind of bring it up to your parents to say, you know, Hey, I noticed that when I get home from school, I need a minute. When you get home from work, mom, do you need a minute? Do you, do you need some time to process and, you know, not have us asking a million things? You know, because I know that I need that time when I get home from school. And when you relay things in that way, people go, oh, yeah, I do. And they start to reflect and notice how they feel. And if you say you need something too, then they're like, huh, if I feel this way, maybe they feel that way too. And when you start to share that, that's when things start changing. And that's when we've got that deeper, truer connection to better understand one another. And we're bridging that gap that happens so often. As you said, it is so important to communicate that because otherwise my parents would be like, why are you doing that? Why are you not doing what you should be doing? But then once you say, oh, well, I'm just taking a break because I need a bit of space. I need to process everything. It's like, all right, okay, that's fine. So having that two-way communication is really, really helpful. And it does like it strengthens your relationships as well. It does because it shifts, you know, we tend to, you're the psychology person here (laughs) in this relationship. (laughs) But what I've learned, Vicki, and I'm sure you probably have some things to add to this one is that, you know, with alexithymia, I wasn't always able to express or identify. Like I would feel all the feels, but I didn't know how to identify it to explain it or to even know what that was. And if I had had someone to say to me, hey, when you get home from school, what do you notice? You know, what are some things that you're starting to notice? Like, what do you avoid doing? What do you try and seek to do? And sometimes just those little highlights help you talk through and sort of identify what it is that you need. Cause I couldn't identify that that's what I needed. I was avoiding schoolwork. I didn't even, I dropped my backpack at the back door in the laundry room and I wasn't getting it till I was ready. <laughs> and that's just sort of like one of those identifiers. It's like, I immediately needed a snack and I wanted to sit down and please don't talk to me. My ears are tired. They feel like they're bleeding after eight hours of listening, but I didn't know how to express that. But my, my behavior, my choice in activities spoke to that. So if I was able to identify that or have somebody help me identify that earlier, it would have helped. What do you think on that one, Vicki? I agree with completely. It's a process of like trial and error. If if you're doing it for yourself, you have to figure out, okay, well, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And it is identifying what you need. But having someone, if you're a parent, 
to just kind of work through it with you and say, look, what do you do when you come home? Let's unpick it. Let's have a sit down and think, what do you need in order to help you do your homework or in order to help you get a few more spoons? I think it, it, that's a great idea. And it is really helpful because I could recognize how I was feeling. I knew that I was sad or I was happy, but my issue was I couldn't express that. So I would feel it, but I didn't know how to tell someone this is how I'm feeling. So a lot of the time I would write letters to people because that was my way of figuring it out. And what my parents would do, my mum would write letters back to me, which I loved. I'd say, look, I'm really sorry that I shouted at you. I've been really upset. I've had a bad day. And she would write a letter back saying, look, I understand that school is making you anxious. And I'd be like, school is making me anxious she's right and she had picked up on stuff that I didn't realize which can be which was for me really really helpful so I was able to express how I was feeling but I was also able to learn what was going on which then me and my mum were able to figure out okay this is what is actually happening and this is what you need oh my gosh that is so brilliant I love that I love that oh that is so good and I think, you know, speaking as, as a mom, I had to be aware of my own needs in order to show up and help my children navigate their needs. And that was one of the things that made a big shift in our household because I wasn't snappy and I wasn't impatient and I wasn't yelling <laughs> And I, cause I hate yelling, but I had turned into a yeller because I was so burned out. I was so frustrated and my needs were going unmet so long. I had been denying and suppressing them, trying to perform this list of things that I was supposed to quote unquote be doing. And I wasn't playing and I wasn't having fun and I wasn't self-caring and I wasn't doing anything. I was doing all this stuff for everybody else. I thought I was supposed to be doing and guys, just so you know. Your house does not have to be like showroom perfect. You do not have all your laundry done. <laughs> oh, that is relatable. Every time we have someone come around to the house, my mom is always, everyone, quick now, tidy the house, tidy the house. But you live in this house. It's lived in. People aren't going to expect it to be spotless. But there's that old broken societal norm and societal belief that, you know, we've ascribed to somewhere along the generations. Our grandparents told our parents and our parents were telling us you're being judged on how clean your house is. And that is speaking to who you are and your quality of person and all this kind of unspoken stuff that nobody talks about. Guys, if I go to somebody's house, I am not going to see how clean their house is. I am not walking around with a white glove, checking the baseboards. I mean, come on. My mother would go bananas for like, oh my gosh, it has to look like a museum. You know, don't touch anything. Everything has to be clean and everything's in its place and there's no clutter. And, you know, that's really nice. And you have a place for your IRS, but the, the stress to maintain that is just horrible. And I don't go see somebody's house. I go see them. Remember that somebody's there to see you, not your house. <laughs> and if they're there and they have, they're tacky enough that, to say something about the quality or, or, or the state of your house, that is not your person. That's on them, not you. And the thing is, with 
with that and with everything and taking time for yourself, it's setting boundaries. I know for me, as a university student, I live with my parents and my husband and we have a four-year-old. So I have to firmly set my boundaries. I have to say, look, this is my study time. This is when I am unavailable and that is my boundary. So it's hard when there's so much else going on and you do need to study. So setting that boundary and that time for yourself to actually get your work done is really helpful. Oh, that is a really good one. I'm like you. We are living in a multi-generational, multi-family existence right now. You know, we've we moved to Colorado and we built a house and Josh said, I don't want to live here. This isn't for me. We moved cross country to Kentucky. And so we're all living together while we're finding property, while we're waiting to build houses because the cost of construction materials is ridiculous right now (laughs) because of all of the worldwide factors over the last two years. So in that, you know, you've got more noise than if it's just you and your spouse or just you and your kids. You've got more personalities and people and things to navigate. And it is so important to be able to set those boundaries for yourself, to make sure that you've got things in place that help you restore your energy, even in your own home environment, and to make sure you're commuting, communicating those with the people that you live with. It's really, really important because it's not just about your boundaries and your restoration. It's also making sure and helping those that live with you get theirs and set theirs too. Sometimes not everybody knows how to do that. It's a learned skill. And that, that it is. And once you've set your boundaries and other people know, look, she's not available at this time, you can set up your own routine, especially like for going back to school after the summer having like a plan like a detailed plan and having a routine ready to kind of get back into is really helpful yeah my youngest son starts school back on august the 9th and he and i were talking yesterday and i said okay have you gotten your schedule yet do you know what your classes are and where they are you know he's going to be a junior and uh, so he this is a school he's been going to for three years so he knows where everything is it's um But, you know, it was just one of those things. And I'm like, hey, you know, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm about to go to the movies with some friends. I'm like, okay, that's great. You know, have you gotten your supply list to go ahead and start planning? I said, because, you know, this is August 1st and you've got nine days to start getting ready. And I said, a week is, is a good bit of time, you know. I said, because if you start doing just a little bit, just break it down and just do a little bit, one thing each day it's going to be a lot easier than you trying to cram it all in to the night before. And, you know, mom, dad, and grandparents don't want to run you to the dollar general when everything's bought out already the night before school starts. Cause you know, that's one of those things. It's like when you, I can't do it for him because I wouldn't be helping. I would be creating a bigger thing, but I can help him by saying, let's structure this out and break it down. Because you are now responsible for doing these things. And I don't make him responsible for everything at once. I add one thing at a time and I let him get comfortable with it. You got to do the same thing with yourself. I, I agree. I think doing it step by step is really helpful. The idea of doing it the night before just terrifies me. Vicki, your tips, your insights, all the beautiful things that you have shared. Oh, thank you so much for them. 
Thank you for taking your knowledge and your experience and sharing it with everybody today. So just so everybody knows, this is Vicki's third appearance on the talk show. She is the most visited guest. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Vicki, I am a huge fan <laughs> of Thank what you, you so do much. and how I, you do I, it. I love you and your podcast and everything you do so much. And I absolutely love the it's been a discussion, hasn't it? We've been back and forwards, but it's been really nice to just have like a free flowing conversation. And as you've said things, I've thought, oh yeah, I just thought of something. And it's been really, really lovely. And I really hope that someone out there finds this helpful. Me too. Because one of the purposes of this whole segment for the month of August for back to school is that we're not just giving you some rubber meets the road kind of things to help yourself if you're a parent, student, or a teacher. We're also speaking to you, my late identified friend, because there's healing in understanding some things and some forgiveness and some letting go of those false, limiting, really broken narrative beliefs that we had in school. So even if just listening to this conversation is just, it's just you, babe. You're it's just you all by yourself. It's okay. That's it's here for you because part of this is that you're learning things more about yourself as you're discovering what autism is in your life and what being autistic means to you because it's different for each person. And I hope that hearing some of these things is helping you to recognize, become aware, and to let go and to forgive and to have some grace and compassion for yourself. Thanks for being here, Vicki. Thanks for being here with us this week. Next week, I have Mara Rose from Sassy Autistic Pineapple Girl, and we're going to be talking about some amazing things that happen in the classroom, from stemming to eye contact, and how, as a student and a teacher and a parent, we can all come together to embrace the things that help regulate all neurotypes. See you next week. If you are someone who likes to help people, and share what has made a difference in your life, please share this talk show with a friend and on your social media accounts so that you can be the blessing in another late-identified autistic's life. Be sure to tag me at Social Audie so I can personally say thank you. And to help keep the talk show ad-free, please consider becoming a one-time or recurring supporter through either Buy Me a Coffee or the Anchor Podcast links in the show notes below. I truly appreciate your support. Thank you for being a listener and thank you for adding your voice to our story.